You're listening to Unraveling Rachel. This podcast is all about this journey that we call life and how we can live it more authentically so that it sucks less and feels better. Sounds good, huh? Hi there, friends. Today is Thursday, January 9th. I'm sitting snuggled in my closet and I am recording this podcast episode, obviously. (laughs) But it's kind of a big deal for me because one, it's been a struggle to get myself to sit down and record this. It is something that I've committed to for myself and for the podcast and you, my listeners, for this year to do an episode a week. And this all relates to things that I'm working on in my life, things that I'm going to talk about, and my intentions for 2020. So I, I kind of, I've been figuring out how this podcast is going to go. And I've talked about this before. I I want to sit down and record and be vulnerable and share what's present, but I also want to really be clear in what I'm saying. So I've gone back and forth with preparing and just sitting down and doing. And for this episode in particular, there are things that I've been, um, I was writing on, um, trying to organize, trying to put into an episode format. And what I found is that I'm getting in my head about it. And it's like, I'm not writing a book. I don't have to dive into all this detail. Not right now. I I will write a book in the future. Um, But it felt I was uh, getting I was getting wrapped up in, in a sense, perfectionism, not wanting to miss anything. And it was in worrying about if I was capturing all the things I wanted to capture. And when it came time to record this, because I told myself every Thursday morning, I'm going to record an episode. I was like, Oh, I don't know. I don't feel like it's ready. I don't, there's just so much to say. It's going to be all scatterbrained and blah, 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 blah. All these, all these objections and worries coming up in my head. When I woke up this morning, I I'd set my alarm for early so that I could prepare a little and be ready and sit down and record. And I snoozed and I woke up later than I wanted to. My body hurt. I was tired. And there was just like all this resistance. And so I was like, okay, I, I laid in bed for a little while and I was like, I've got to get up. I've got to move. And I've talked about before how transitions can be hard for me, whether that's coming home from work, getting up in the morning, going to bed. It's like, okay, what do I, what do I want to do? What do I need to do? Um, And then sometimes just feeling so overwhelmed that I don't do anything. Uh, I recognized that this morning and I told myself, just get up and shower. So I had a nice hot shower and it was so like warm and cozy and comforting. And I got this new soap, like a soap bar for my hair that I really love. And I was taking in all the smells and appreciating that it's all natural and just really enjoying myself. And then I was like, oh, oh, I'm just doing it here now. Now I'm lingering in the shower and it's delicious and it's great, but my fingers are pruning up. And so it's probably time to get out and it's time to go from this comfort into the other things and to choose something. And it was like, before I knew it, not even thinking about it, my hand was on the knob and I turned off the hot water and just like took a deep breath and it got cold. And I've done this at the end of my hot showers before the, the cold like for 30 seconds at the end, which is supposed to be cold showers in general are supposed to be really good for you. And a lot of people just do straight cold showers. I'm not there yet, but I found that I do like the cold at the end. And uh, it reminds me of a practice that 
we did one day in my yoga teacher training, we went and snorkeled the La Jolla Cove. um, And it was like March, it was pretty cold. But we snorkeled and it was about connecting to our breath and breathing through discomfort and deepening the breath. And cold water really calls that forth. Like it constricts and then we have to breathe. And that's what I felt in the shower this morning, just like bringing these deep breaths in and I could feel my body coming alive. I could feel my heart beating more clearly. I could feel the breath cleansing. I felt my body tingling and stronger as I breathed through it and leaned into it. And you can hear I've still got a little bit of this cold, but I could feel my sinuses clear. And I was like alive and powerful and awake. And I was ready to go. (laughs) I mean, I was definitely ready to get out of the shower after those 30 seconds because it was cold. So turned it off and my body felt warmer on its own. It felt good. And from there, I decided um, that I would go back and listen to the last episode of the podcast that I recorded. And I've done this before. And it helps me to remember that I can do it, that it's even though that last episode was not my favorite, it I went back and listened. I was like, Oh, I found some gems of wisdom in there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Okay, I can do this. And I was like, all right, I'm ready to go. And something that came out of that is um, that in that episode, I talked about how overwhelm is BS. Overwhelm's BS. It only matters what I choose to do right now. And I've got to choose one thing and just do it. It's in whatever that one thing that I choose, it is a better step than obsessing about all the things because obsessing about all the things is just being stuck. Doing one thing is what really matters. And so I'm choosing to do that one thing and sit down and record this. I'm not going off of the, all the things, excuse me. I'm not going off of all the things that I wrote and, and like the structure that I had. Not exactly. I'm going to get there, but I'm just sitting down and doing it. Um, getting out of that, um, in my head preparedness and more into a present flow. And I don't think that one is necessarily better than the other. I think there's actually, they can work together. And that's what I'm figuring out as I show up and do this every week. That's what I want to, um, do every week. That's, that's part of why I want to commit to this because I, I'm seeing that, um, the way that figuring it out, the way that doing it and doing it well works, isn't that I figure out exactly how to do it. I learn how to do it and then I do it. It's more of doing it and learning how to do it. It's that it's a practice and there's refinement in the doing. It's about the journey, not the destination. And, you know, I think that that works in, in, that's true of most things in life to varying degrees, right? Like surgeons, for example, they spend a lot of time learning about how to do it, observing what they should do, watching other people, learning from people who have done it. And then it's a medical practice. <laughs> so they go in and they're practicing, they're, they're doing it as best they can and refining it as, as they go along. You know, it's why I'm glad my surgeon, 78 years old, he's had a lot of practice. He's really good at what he does. I'm glad he wasn't like that, you know, 28 year old whippersnapper surgeon. (laughs) I mean, yeah, nobody wants that guy. (laughs) Sorry if you're that guy. Um, and maybe nobody wants that person on the podcast. I don't know. That's okay. But what I, I, I'm okay showing up and sharing this with you because I think that seeing other people do it helps us do it ourselves because I know that somebody out there listening might have something that they want to do that they feel like they don't know how to do so they're not doing it but do it and you'll figure out how to do it.
And, and it doesn't have to be the big thing that you want to do, but a little thing, a little thing matters. And then it's building trust um, with yourself to see that you can do it. And that's, so that brings me, <clears throat> pardon me, um, pretend we're just friends sitting here having tea and um, I'm going to sip some of my golden milk. to help with my throat. It's delicious golden milk, by the way. If you're in San Diego, there's a guy at the Little Italy Farmer's Market called Root Root Shine, I believe. <clears throat> and it's a blend, turmeric and coconut milk powder, and it's delicious. Sometimes I put some in my coffee. I just got it last week, and I've almost went through a bag. Um, it's it's really, really tasty. I like the creaminess of it. I've mixed it and made like a um, like a fat coffee with some ghee and the, the turmeric, a little bit of the layered Hamilton superfood creamer, the unsweetened one for some extra minerals. And I, sometimes I add a little bit extra spice because I like more cardamom. So that's weird that <clears throat> that just kind of led me into a... Um, little pitch for Rootshine, which I, I, nobody sponsors me in this podcast. Um, so that's just, that's all about me sponsoring them. I really like the product and I feel like I feel a difference, um, less inflammation in my joints since I've been consuming a lot of turmeric in this last week. Okay. So, um, after that break from our not sponsor, I want to talk about these are some of the things that I did prepare for talking about on this episode that um, 20 little bit of review of 2019 and then uh, looking forward into 2020 in 2019 I wrote at the end of 2018 I wrote a letter to myself and I talked about the things that I wanted in 2019 I didn't focus though on tangible things that I wanted. I focused more on feeling things. And this is something that I learned um, initially from, I mean, listening to law of attraction stuff like Abraham Hicks. Um, in 2017, I started working with Danielle Laporte's desire map. And it's like law of attraction based as well. And the main thing is that they talk about looking for feelings. Everything that we do, everything that we do is for the sake of a feeling. Everything that we want is because we think it's going to make us feel a certain way. If we want the nice car or the good job, it might be because we're, we want, we think it'll bring us prestige and that'll bring us a feeling of fulfillment. Uh, if we want the perfect body, it might be because we are seeking acceptance or comfort in our own skin or, um, you know, even when we put on clothes in the morning, that is seeking a feeling. It's a feeling of not being vulnerable. It's a feeling of um, modesty, of having a place and of, you know, doing the right thing and not being looked at like a freak. Um, when we eat. It's to not feel hungry. So everything that we do is looking for a feeling in some way. And so if we think that it's external things that are going to bring us a feeling, if it's getting the perfect body, the car, the partner, the job, buying the house, um, going on that vacation, it can help us to look at why we want those things. And that way, if we don't achieve those things, it's not like, oh, it's a failure. And so we can look at finding the feeling and finding the feeling in whatever shows up in life, which does not mean that we shouldn't have goals. Goals are great. And I had goals last year too. And I'm, I'm not the best at setting goals and achieving them. Um, that's something that I am also working on. But I was more goal and externally focused before. And so I was constantly being disappointed, experiencing these things that Christine Hassler, who's a great coach, um, 
kind of San Diego-ish based, California-based. Um, she calls the expectation hangovers that it's like, we want this thing, we want this thing, we want this thing. And then sometimes we get that thing and we still don't feel the feeling that we wanted. I mean, we don't get that thing and we're like, ugh, ugh, it just feels so icky. So anyway, I started looking at the feelings that I actually wanted in life. And at the end of 2018, I, in the letter I wrote to myself, it came through that I wanted to feel more fully expressed, more connected, and more abundant. And I had ideas about how that would come about. Um, and none of those things happened. I thought that I would feel, well, I shouldn't say none of those things happened, but it didn't quite happen in the way that I thought. I thought I would go to Burning Man. I mean, to me, Burning Man is like this ultimate place of full acceptance and expression and an ability or a, 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 a space where people can just connect without the um, like pretense of life and these expectations and being on this agenda of got to get this done and that done and, and all of that sort of the typical hustle and grind of daily life. So I thought, wow, like I want to do that. And I want to feel that, um, that level of expression and also this empowerment that comes from being out in a harsh environment. Uh, although that wasn't one of my main three things that I chose. It was um, to feel more fully expressed, connected, and abundant. And connection was a big part of going to Burning Man too, because there are so many people there just being themselves that the level of connection can, um, in my experience, just of like more local events like that, it can be more deep than on an everyday surface level. Uh, I also sought connection and expression through the podcast. I thought, oh, I'm going to do an episode every week. I'm going to really get involved and, and build a community and I'm going to interview these experts and I'm going to learn so much and I'm going to connect with them. And the podcast didn't quite go as planned. Um, I thought with abundance, I was going to work harder to you know, build my own business in some way and to finally start um, saving some money and paying off debts and really feel abundant in a way that I have it financially that I've never felt in my life, even when I was making a lot of money. And there's a there's mindset stuff that goes behind that. Um, and the way that the feelings of expression, connection and abundance came through were different than I expected, but they still came through. And they came through because I think I was looking for them because those are the things that I was valuing and wanting and keeping in the forefront of my mind. So I was attuned to them. I, I was, you know, it's like once you, have you ever noticed like, once you um, see a car or like you've been car shopping and you're like, oh, this happened to me with my Kia Soul. I bought a, I'd never really thought about a Kia Soul before. And then I was looking at Kia Souls and suddenly I saw Kia Soul everywhere, everywhere. It's like there's that experiment where someone um, will tell you like, don't think about a striped zebra. And then you can't not think about a striped zebra. It's like that. So looking for those feelings in whatever came my way um, is basically what happened in 2019. Um, but if I had been attached to the outcomes and, you know, looking at it right now, um, those things didn't happen. So I could mark myself as a failure. I could say, oh, those, you know, I didn't get anything I wanted out of 2019. 2019 was utter shit. I got cancer instead. Like I got cancer. I couldn't go to work. I had a major surgery. My body was drastically altered, changed forever. I made less money. And like the podcast just kind of went along with me on the journey. So you know what? That sucked. That sucked. And I kind of did. Like I'm not saying that I didn't feel any of these like quote unquote uh, negative emotions. I, 
I put that in quotes because I don't think any emotion is actually negative. It's the, the meaning that we give it, the fear associated with it that makes it feel negative or feel bad in our lives. But emotions are just guides along our way. So those things didn't happen, but I still felt more expressed, connected, and abundant than ever. So I consider 2019 a success in that way. Um, and how that happened, well, I may not have made as much of the podcast in 2019 as I'd hoped, but it ended up being just the perfect outlet that I needed to show up and express myself uninterrupted in everything that I'd been going through. So I'm really grateful that in um, the, the months leading up to that, I had set up this outlet for it and given myself this new level of expression uh, just by having the courage to sit down and speak into a microphone in my cozy little closet here, um, the truth from within me and post it out to the world, that that level of expression and being is so scary, was so scary for so long and yet also what I craved and in doing it, it felt so good. I mentioned it's still a challenge for me to sit and record sometimes because of the perfectionism and all that, but truly every time I do it, I feel so much lighter than I did going into it. And um, so this it was a perfect outlet for expression for me. And I, I came to the podcast as I could in the time of my cancer experience. Um, also, with cancer, with, with my experience of it and the surgery that I went through, I lost my ability to express myself completely after my surgery. Well, almost completely. I spent four days on life support. I had a tube down my throat and I couldn't speak. I was very heavily drugged. And not being able to express the fear and the discomfort in me and ask questions, it was it was probably like the most terrifying and distressing part of that whole experience. Like even worse than the opiate withdrawals. I think it was like my biggest fear. And in the Enneagram, um, what I am, a number eight, um, that is like our, our core fear of being in a weakened state, being taken advantage of. Not that people were taking advantage of me, but I was completely powerless. Um, I would try to write out what I wanted to say, but it was so hard. Like I was hallucinating and I was tired. I couldn't focus the pen to the paper it was terrible. But from that experience, because contrast provides clarity, I realized that expression is power. And in wanting to feel fully expressed, I was wanting to feel more in my power, which is exactly how I feel when I create this podcast. I feel more whole, more me, more powerful, not in this way that power gets a bad rap but just more like if you could see me right now I'm like my, I'm sitting up a little taller and I'm just like grounded and powerful and whole not like uh not yeah I can't explain it <laughs> but anyway that contrast of that experience um it was a gift show me the importance of expression and has encouraged me to let more out as I've navigated through the both the process of being a person who's had cancer and a person who is creating something in their life. It's asked me to be more in touch with and expressive of my feelings and my needs. And um, now I'm learning to express them um, to create a better, more nourishing life for myself. So it's really, really good. And um, yeah, what else to say about expression in 2019? Um, I, I, so on, relating to the cancer experience, I see my cancer as my privilege, that it's gifted me with lessons and a perspective that people with a 
you know, experience of this of normative health don't ha- haven't had yet. They might, and they might benefit from because they know someone who's been sick, or they may eventually face something themselves and remember something I've said. So in some ways, I feel like not expressing, not talking about what I've been through, what I'm going through, would be a disservice to others and to my own experience. Um, It would be a disservice to not share what I know now. So in a similar way that Burning Man felt like a permission slip for expression and finding connection um, and exploration of life and feelings and, and all of this stuff, which don't get me wrong, I still see Burning Man in that way. But also, I think that this this experience of illness that the universe delivered to me instead did the same thing. And I found the same feelings that I, I wanted in it um, of expression, connection, and abundance. So I think that without my commitment to expression, I don't think I'd have found as much of the connection I was looking for either. Because inherent in connection is showing up to be connected. Expression is a way of showing up. Other people can't connect with us when we're standing on the sidelines yearning or quietly hiding and not feeling good enough as I've been prone to do, um, they, they don't see us. They don't, they don't want to engage with us. We're not offering anything. So through expression, I'm offering myself. And through expression, I give myself the scary gift of visibility, of, of being seen, which is something that I've craved and feared as well. Um, so when I I show up and I allow it to be known that, hey, here I am. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm going through. I open myself to connection. And it's kind of moving on to the note of connection is kind of ironic. I got a rare disease that affects two in a million people in order to come to a deeper feeling of oneness with everything. Like I had to become somewhat of a rare disease unicorn to feel like I am just like everyone else. Life, universe, you work in funny ways. But facing my own mortality revealed a sense of shared humanity and a deeper well of compassion for the world and all the world's suffering. And I don't know exactly how to explain that right now, put it all into words, but It does. Um, And that's, you know, maybe not being able to put it in the words as part of the wisdom of experience. And as that sinks in, I'll, I'll be able to share more. But I just know that we're all so much more alike than we think we are and so connected by this way of our human experience that we might all have different experiences. Like I will never have the experience of what it's like to be a person of color in this world. But I have an experience of what it's like to be a person of, you know, not full health in this world. And some of the feelings that show up might be similar. You know, it's human experience. The The way that we come about those feelings is different, but the feelings are a human, no matter what language we speak or where we live or, you know, what the details of the experience are. Um, not, and I'm not saying they're exactly the same, but they're, they're similar. We can connect at a, at a more basic level over feelings. And, um, I felt, I, I felt connected through this experience, um, both of the podcast, um, and of being ill because of how people showed up for me, people showing up and supporting the podcast, listening, people I didn't think would listen, strangers on the internet connecting with me. Um, mostly my family though, and friends that, um, listened, especially, um, my sister listening, which I talk about in one episode. I'll try and remember to link that in the show notes. And then on, um, having people show up for me with the whole cancer experience, um, I have always feared death 
which is a big topic to dive into sometime. Uh, I feared death and dying alone or being sick. Uh, I've also had a story in my head that I've had to do everything on my own, specifically that my parents didn't support me and also that my partner may not be able to handle the serious side of life and be the rock that I needed because we met in, and it was very like party fun, um, mode of life. But I was so wrong. My mom and dad showed up for me. My partner Graham showed up for me. Friends showed up for me. Some in ways I expected, others unexpected. And um, people that, you know, acquaintances showed up for me, sent cards, just it, it felt so good to feel like I'm not alone in this world. Um, it was really yeah, I've, I felt more connected on a deeper level. And um, yeah, so I I felt connected um, and supported. And in a way that relates to the abundance piece as well. Um, oh, and another way I felt connected, I went to a music festival before my surgery. It was like my tumor's last party. And my friends and community there, I feel like, really just welcomed me and made sure that I had the best time of my life and enjoyed every moment and savored it. And it was, it was cold and rainy and not the weather we expected, but it was, it was amazing. It was incredible. One of the best memories of my life. Um, and okay. I talked about how the podcast gave me connection and, um, yeah, and, and the people I connected with through the podcast before I got sick um, sent out a lot of, of love and support as I was going through what I was going through. Um, On to abundance, how I felt abundant. Like I said, I thought I would make more money, pay off debt, be able to go to Burning Man. Didn't happen. But I saw how abundant I am already. The things that I have, you know, I'm so grateful for my Trader Joe's insurance, uh, as I've mentioned before, and the support of my partner, my parents, for everyone who's donated to my GoFundMe, which is actually still active and in need of support, but I uh, I have a hard time asking for it. Um, maybe I'll ask more. Look, that's my way of asking right now. <laughs> um hard sometimes to ask for those things that we need when we feel shame around it, which I do. Um, and just abundant because the fact that I've been getting by in life is kind of miraculous financially. Um, but I have like money comes in at the right time. My parents support me without asking at the right time. I see how much I've had in life and the privileges that I've had. And I'm so grateful for them. Um, you know, the situation that I was put in just gave me a different perspective. I looked at everything around me differently and felt so much more gratitude more deeply. And when, when we're grateful, we can't not be abundant. A friend mentioned this quote to me before that gratitude is the currency of abundance. So, you know, we think of currency as like something we call money currency. It's something that we can buy something with. So if money is the currency of our economy, money is what we use to buy the things we want. And gratitude is the currency of abundance. When we're grateful, we can buy ourselves more abundance, you know, and the abundance just flows in. Um, And a lot of spiritual teachings say that in order to make more or have more in life, we have to first be grateful for what we do have. And that makes so much sense. And I understand that in a new way now, in an experiential way, that being grateful really makes us feel like we have so much and takes us out of that like feeling of lack and, and freak out kind of stuff. Mm, just pause for a sip of that delicious golden milk. And law of attraction, that brings me to this point that law of attraction says that we have to feel something before we can have it. Um, 
I often have and, and still sometimes feel like I there's not enough or I'm not good enough. But when I feel that I have enough, that there is enough, that I'm good enough, that I love what I do have, more of what I desire flows in. And I've noticed this shift in my life since this big like slap in the face of this cancer experience where I feel more tuned in and more clear. Like I meet the right people and end up in the right places at the right time. Work opportunities come to my way just when I need them. And and I meet people when I need them or, or re-meet them, like in the case of re-meeting Eliza. And I feel like... Um, you know, everything just kind of comes to me. I could have felt like the universe just shit all over me with this last year, but I feel like it's shown up for me. Um, and speaking to that of that idea that we have to feel it before we can have it. I think that that's part of the beauty of setting these feeling intentions is that if I'm looking for the feeling I, I have it and then I have more of it. And when I see where I feel that way, I know how to create more of that feeling. And I trust that that feeling is there for me. So that brings me to what is it that I'm looking for in 2020? I found those feelings of expression and connection and abundance in 2019. And those those are still things that I am attuned to for 2020, but I'm introducing three new things. Um, and I don't, maybe they're not quite feelings, qualities. Um, but this year, what came to me is curiosity, compassion, and commitment. I love alliteration. So maybe that's part of these three C's. Um, but I think they're really important important things to live our lives with. So what does that mean and how will I do it? And why are these things important to me? I'm going to talk a little bit about that. So curiosity, they say it killed the cat, um, but I think is really important for our human survival. <laughs> curiosity is what leads to creation and expansion and discovery. Curiosity asks us to peer outside of our our knowing and what we find comfortable. And it's at the heart of, of discovery and adventure and play and freedom. And yeah, it's, it's exciting. Curiosity can be really exciting. It can also be kind of scary because it takes us it asks us to look into the unknown. But I'm at a point where I've decided I want to get outside of what I know. And I want to open to new possibilities and things that I didn't believe in before. Because I realize there's so much that I don't know. What I think I know in many ways isn't serving me anymore and might be keeping me stuck. And I want to learn and be transformed. And I want to play more because play is a lot of fun and play and letting loose is something that has been a challenge for me for that very reason, because it is such a free flowing thing and it's not something that there's a script for how to do. And I thought I had to know how to do it before I could do it, like I talked about at the beginning of this episode. So um, and in, in play is joy and in play is being, beingness instead of doingness. And I want to touch on this idea that life is shaped by our beliefs and beliefs are what we think is true and what we know. So um, our, and our beliefs are shaped mostly, you know, by our past experiences. And for me, my past experiences and the meaning that I made of them uh, when I was young are kind of like shit right now. They're not working for me. They may have at some point, but they're not now. They aren't necessarily true anymore of what's possible for me. And I don't want to live a life based on those beliefs anymore. So um, curiosity means being curious about the things that I think are true. Being curious about like, why do I 
think that I can't just sit down and record a podcast? Why do I think that I might miss something or it won't be good enough? And is that true? Hmm. Where did that come from? You know? So I want to ask some new questions that lead to new discovery new discoveries about myself and better ways of doing things and new experiences. And um, it's going to require very intentional curiosity and a cultivation of awareness. Awareness is a form of curiosity because we're getting curious about what's really going on instead of just being in what's really going on. Brings in that mindfulness piece of stepping back and becoming like a curious observer of our thoughts and our lives and what we're doing. And then once we witness, we can ask the right questions about it um, and bring ourselves out of living on autopilot. Um, This will allow for the examination of beliefs and thoughts that motivate feelings and actions. So instead of just like accepting these beliefs and thoughts and the actions and the results that come from them, I'm going to get curious about them and then get curious about how I can shift them. Um, and it's kind of like meeting a new person. This analogy came to me. You know, we meet a new person and we ask some basic questions like, oh, hey, are you from here? How'd you end up here? What do you do here? You know, and all this time we're collecting information about how we feel about this person. So when it comes to ourselves, you know, I can ask myself, well, you know, um, how did I get to that conclusion? Um, is that working for me? Is there another way? How do I feel about that? Where do I feel it in my body? And um, get to know this like this basis of my life because all those things are create that lens through which I see and create my life. I can get to know it better and I can I can grow it better. Okay, so there's um, one question that I want to specifically keep asking to provoke a more, to provoke curiosity and to also simplify, and that's, what if it was easy? I heard Tim Ferriss talk about how this helped him work through some hard things and how it helped him write his book, Tribe of Mentors, and it makes so much sense, uh, especially for me because I tend to overcomplicate things um, when I, especially when I think I don't know how to do something. I'm like, oh my God, it's really hard and there's all this stuff. And I don't consider that there could just be an easy way. (laughs) So if I can remember to ask myself, what if it was easy, then I can put myself into just like an imagining mode and like, well, I would just do it. Or someone, you know, I could listen to someone who knows how to do it or I could ask someone or I could just bring out all kinds of ideas and possibilities. Um, and I did. I asked myself, what if my podcast was easy? Just sit down and record it. And I've done that a few times and it's worked out just great. Um, and then curiosity is also really important to me because I wish I would have had more of it in the five years that I was really sick leading up to my cancer diagnosis. I, I, I think if I had asked better questions, been more curious instead of trusting that someone else knew a lot about me and paid more attention to some subtleties in my body. And remember I said attention is a a form of curiosity. I think I may have experienced, um, a different outcome. It's hard to say because what happened happened, but, um, what happened happened and we can learn from that, you know, and so I'm not looking back with regret. Sometimes, sometimes I feel regretful and I remind myself that there's no point um, and let it go. Allow, I allow the regret and then allow it to continue on its way and just um, change my behavior going forward and employ curiosity when I need it. So um, one more thing to touch on, which I think I've already said, this is like one more, one more thing to touch on. Curiosity allows us to discover the unexpected and 
uh, I talked a little bit about how expectations lead to disappointment earlier. And definitely a lot of my dissatisfaction in life has come from expectations. Expectations are an attempt at control, like getting this thing, getting this thing will is necessary for my happiness. Um, but joy is in the unexpected and, and in what can't controlled curiosity, um, allows us to find the feelings we're looking for, even in the results that we didn't want. So I, I guess in a way I was already employing curiosity last year by finding those feelings, even in the things that I didn't want. Now onto the second one, um, compassion, this word to me, it came to me and it felt right. Uh, but as I've been planning to talk about it, I was prompted to really examine its meaning and I kind of became unsure if it was the right word. So I went to Google and I found some definitions of compassion and some felt very limited, some felt very big. And I feel like as I mean it, it's really big. It encompasses a lot of things. And um, I found that this is something that social researchers have debated about quite a bit. Social researchers, you know, Buddhist philosophers, um, you know, like from the beginning of time almost like it's been like, well, what is compassion? And um I don't know. A lot of people have a lot of different thoughts on it. Uh, the capacity to understand the emotional state of another or oneself simply to suffer together or the feeling that arises when you are confronted with another's suffering and feel compelled to alleviate it. Um, the Dalai Lama says it's an openness to the suffering of others with a commitment to alleviate it. Um, some more academic definitions are an orientation of mind that recognizes pain and the universality of pain in conscious experience and the capacity to meet that pain with kindness, empathy, equanimity, and patience. Or a deep awareness of the suffering of another coupled with the wish to relieve it. And compassion consists of six attributes, sensitivity, sympathy, empathy, motivation and caring, distress tolerance, and non-judgment. So like, it's like simple, but kind of a lot. And for me, it, it's about recognizing shared humanity, shared consciousness, minimizing difference, and choosing oneness versus a feeling of separateness, neutralizing superiority and emphasizing commonality, um, and having an awareness of the way that my expectations and the expectations I perceive affect the truth of beingness, if that makes sense. Um, and for me, I chose compassion to first start with myself, which, you know, whenever that comes up, I'm like, oh, that might sound selfish because we're kind of trained like that starting with ourself or focusing on ourself is not the best route, uh, or not the, uh, not the admirable, noble route, but it is the best route and the only route, I think, um, for like true, uh, true compassion and growth and really building what we want in life. You know, it's, it's like when we're on the airplane, they say, put your oxygen mask on first because you're no good to anyone else if you pass out. So I'm starting with myself and understanding my own suffering and accepting it not beating myself up for it and seeing how I can shift it. Um, seeing my own suffering has helped me see other suffering and create deeper understanding and acceptance. And um, that's, that's just come through in so many ways. Like, uh, you know, I have these feelings of not good enough and I've discovered that that parallels with my dad's feelings of not good enough that makes him, made him at a time drink and drug instead of being a present father in my life. Um, and when I could feel this in myself and understand how it motivated me to choose things that I knew weren't the best for myself, even they weren't as detrimental as what he chose, but they were still not good. Um, I could understand him better and that opened a door to a better relationship and forgiveness and, Maybe that's more empathy. I don't know. But 
I'm going to call it compassion because I like the sound of my three C's. So basically, I want to navigate this life in a way that accepts suffering, but doesn't encourage it or exacerbate it. Um, because I don't think there's really such a thing as alleviating suffering altogether. We live in this dualistic reality. Um, but there's, there's something to how we perceive it and how we choose to um, act because of it. So um, right now I'm really seeing how so much of my suffering can be self-imposed and how I have a choice in um, contributing to and alleviating the suffering in myself and others in the world. So by adopting compassion as this like guiding quality and feeling in 2020, it's my intention to keep it in mind to help me make better choices and to maintain more equanimity instead of reactivity and to remember oneness instead of getting caught up in separateness and ego. Um, And to understand that when myself or the outside world fails to meet my expectations, that um, to first remember that we're all just doing the best that we can. And I don't know what anyone else is going through. Sometimes I don't know what I'm going through, which is why it's important to pause and breathe and be, which is very hard for me to do sometimes. Um, and the, the healing process this last year has shown me just how hard I can be on myself and how much expectation I put on my body. Um, all my life, I've wanted it to be a certain way without any consideration for how hard it works for me so that I can just simply be. Uh, I talked about this in a couple episodes ago. You know, our bodies are miraculous and we tend to make them our slaves. So more continued gratitude and compassion for my body um, when the best it can do isn't all that I want. And also for my mind when it's being harsh in its thinking regarding any aspect of my life to just, you know, accept that that thinking is there, um, but it doesn't doesn't mean anything doesn't have to mean anything. Um, And I felt deeply just how harsh the world is on our beingness, this big expectation of going back to normal and bouncing back. Total BS. We don't go back. We go through and we are transformed. Something I'm going to talk more about for sure. So I want to embrace compassion for myself and that constant process of transformation that is life, accepting wherever I am, loving my mistakes, I can still set intentions to do better and be intentional with the change like I'm doing with this podcast, but I'm not going to beat myself up anymore. And when I, when I catch myself beating myself up and say, it's okay, I love you and move on. Um, you know, just like let that perfectionism show up be like, Hey, thanks for coming to my party. Saved you a seat in the corner over here. You know, just sit back and watch. You'll be okay. Um, and I want this, compassion first and foremost for myself because I know that it'll allow me to have more compassion for others for sure and um what else what else um yeah there's a lot more I want to be more compassionate towards animals as well I don't know how that's going to show up because the vegan life is not for me not right now um but I do think that we don't consume meat in a compassionate way, in a responsible way. I'm not sure what to do about that just yet. If any of you have some ideas, I'd love to hear them. If you just want to force vegan dogma upon me, please don't bother. I respect your choice. If you want to be vegan, I think that's awesome. I, I admire you. I just it's not for me right now. I'm, I'm thinking that maybe in February I will do a pescatarian cleanse and cut out a lot of stuff and, and see how I feel, you know, mostly eat veggies and some fish. Uh, if that makes sense for me, not sure yet. I'll keep you posted. Um, and this is going to get a little out there, but I want to act more compassionately to everything. And maybe again, compassionate isn't quite the right word, but it's the word I'm using. I want to be more intentional in taking care of and recognizing the suffering of all the things in my life and the the wear and tear of all of the things 
around me because everything is weathering something, you know, plants, my money, food, inanimate objects like my desk and my car and my shoes and my clothes and my books and my computer. Um, So it might sound strange. Maybe it makes sense to you. But um, I think uh, it kind of ties into a lot of what you see in Eastern spiritual practices of keeping things um, minimalist and caring for our objects. And it's not something that I was really, uh, that was ingrained in me growing up. It's not something that I've done well. My car is a mess, like all the time. So that's something I'm going to be more intentional about changing and just um, taking care of it better. Uh, I watched the spiritual teacher Teal Swan talk about um, computers in particular and machine learning and AI that's coming up and how the way that we treat our objects like that that are so quickly becoming smart is going to um, it's kind of that's kind of like their kids and we're shaping how they learn to be in the world and so if we're not treating them well when they develop um, more learning, more consciousness, even perhaps, and discover free will. That sounds so sci-fi, sounds so 2020, or maybe 2050, um, that the way that we've treated them is going to be the way that they treat us in return. So I don't know, kind of wild, kind of wild, maybe a little far out for where we're at in the podcast right now. (laughs) Um, And then finally, commitment. Commitment. I'm committing right now to doing this podcast and I'm super proud of myself. I committed to doing a reading every day in the morning from uh, Simple Abundance, a day book of comfort and joy that I've had on my bookshelf for a while and just came to me. I picked up that book and I followed this impulse more than an impulse though, like an intuition, an intuitive impulse, inspired action to just commit, just commit. It's reading for like five minutes every day on Instagram and opening myself up to connection and doing a simple practice that I can, that can be witnessed, that I can be held accountable for and that I can use to build trust in myself. So that commitment feels really manageable and doable. Whereas like, I don't know, committing to go to the gym every day right now just doesn't. And I I will get there. Because as I'm building this feeling of commitment, I'm seeing that I can commit to something without quitting, then going into committing to something else is going to feel a little easier, I think. I think. We'll see. So I'm going to commit to to just little things to build trust in myself, committing to morning routines, committing back into meditation, five days in on that. Very proud of myself. Um, committing to creating some things. I'm committed to creating a women's circle with a friend here in San Diego for women who are seeking wellness because they're experiencing some sort of unwell, like autoimmune stuff, mysterious symptoms that doctors don't get, um, creating a space where they can share and ask questions and feel safe and be with people who have been through some stuff, you know? Um, And so in another way, that's how I am using my experience to serve. And I do have a commitment That's one of the things, a commitment to serving. So see how I have like, I have curiosity, um, compassion and commitment. And these are like qualities and feelings that I want to guide my 2020. And then I have ways that I'm going to do it. Um, That's how, that's how I'm working it this year, following, following those things. And I'm excited to see what's going to come of it. I'm going to sit down and, and lay out some, some more specific goals and write them down and really get them on paper. But I haven't done that fully yet. Um, It's January 15th. No, wait, why did I say it's January 15th? It's January 9th. Um, I would like to have it done by January 15th. And, um, yeah. 
So that's that. That's that's um, why, what did I touch on there? Why it's important to follow feelings, gratitude's the currency of abundance, how I found um, expression, uh, connection, and abundance in 2019, um, what I'm looking for in 2020 and how I'm going to find it, curiosity, compassion, and commitment. And um, I'm going to wrap it up with some announcements. Um, that women's circle that I talked about is going to take place at my home on January 23rd um, <clears throat> in the evening, probably 6 or 6.30 p.m. I am doing this uh, January reading from Simple Abundance every morning in January on Instagram. You can find it on my IGTV. I tend to post it between 7 a.m. and like 9.30 a.m. every day. And let's see. Oh, excuse me. At the end of January, January 31st, February 1st, and February 2nd, there is a workshop happening at Ginseng Yoga in San Diego, led by Jennifer Samor. Samor. She is a uh, registered yoga teacher, 500 hours, and she is speaking on um, polyvagal theory for somatic movers. She's also a scientist, and she's going to be teaching on polyvagal theory and how it can be, why it's important for um people moving their bodies because trauma lives in our body and our nervous system is housed in our body and all of this um, we can use movement to help uh, calm our nervous system and to put us into a state of safety for connection and I've mentioned before I am not well-versed enough in polyvagal theory to be teaching it. If you want to learn more about that right now, uh, you can check out Irene Lyons. You can come to this workshop with me in San Diego. You can also look up, there's a polyvagal podcast um, that's that teaches on it. Um, I prefer Irene Lyons' uh, YouTube channel. And I'm excited to learn in person because I think that there's a lot that we can learn from YouTubes and Instagrams and uh, podcasts and all that. But being with people and having that circle of people around us to reflect what's going on for us and to hear their experiences and then to see our own selves in them, it is so powerful, so freaking powerful. It is so powerful and important. I cannot emphasize that enough. And I know this because it was missing from my healing journey for so long. And now that I have found it, I remind myself of how important it is all the time because I still have a tendency to withdraw and become reclusive. So those are the things happening and I will be here again. My my goal is to record a, a podcast episode every Thursday and then also get it edited and out to you on Thursday because I'm all about just taking one big action. What I'll be talking about next week, I have no idea. I have no idea, but um, it'll probably be something similar, some insights and what's kind of happening and then, yeah. I don't know, but I'm committed to doing it and I will not beat myself up if it's a, if it's not perfect and I'm going to be curious about what happens in the next week and see if there's something that is there that, you know, makes sense to talk about or maybe doesn't, but I want to talk about anyway. I don't know. Okay. This ended up being a much longer podcast than I expected, but it didn't feel like it, which I think is a good thing when time just kind of goes, uh, probably means I was just in the flow and, you know, it's like sitting down with a friend and you talk and suddenly you're like, oh my gosh, hours have went by. How did that happen? I hope you feel that way too. So until next time, my friends, I just, I, I hope 
that 2020 is off to a good start for you. I would be curious if you've set uh, resolutions or intentions uh, and what you're using to guide yourself through the year. And if listening to this has maybe shifted how you want to think about approaching the next, uh, what do we have? 357 days. Is that right? It's a leap year. So maybe 358. I don't know. Uh, Let me know. I'd love to hear from you. And until next week, lots of love to you. And I can't wait to talk to you. I'm excited to just be like, yeah, Thursday, we're meeting. Oh, yeah. Hey, I forgot to remind you, go over to Instagram, follow me, check out what I'm doing over there. Join in for the Simple Abundance readings every morning. They're really short and I find them really valuable. They've been really fun to do and it's just a nice way to um, connect in with uh, what we really want and our feelings and our authenticity for the year. So I'd love it if you came over and um, just join me in that morning routine. It'll be fun. I promise. You can find me at Unraveling Rachel. That's all one word on Instagram. And this is only on Instagram. I'm not doing it on Facebook. So come over, come over to IG at Unraveling Rachel. I hope to see you there.